don't know how many of you remember Bishop Carl Mengling, but every once in a while he would get up and say, I hope you packed your lunch. And what that meant was you were going to get a long homily. I hope you packed your lunch. Uh, couldn't figure out a way to shorten this. But we're going to talk about the first reading because it's probably my favorite reading in the whole Old Testament. Um, but for it to make sense, I have to give you a history lesson. And I'd apologize for giving you a history lesson, but I feel no contrition at all. I love this stuff, yeah? So King Saul, King David, King Solomon ruled over a, a country that was comprised of the 12 tribes of Israel, yeah? It was an area that was big to them, but like right now you could fit that whole thing in Lake Michigan. But either way, after the death of Solomon, his two oldest boys fought and divided the kingdom. And you end up with the northern kingdom called Israel, and that was 10 of the 12. And you end up with the southern kingdom, which was two of the 12, um, Judah and Benjamin. And they called themselves Judah. So you had one country that was now two. And then an army came in and obliterated the north. The wealthy, powerful northern kingdom was absolutely annihilated. And the people were taken away from the land. Uh, the belief was that the Jews were so strong because their God lived in the dirt. So the idea was get them away from their dirt. And not only that, but then confuse their tribes, split them up, make them live with people that aren't their own. And then about 150 years later, uh, the Babylonian army marched into the southern kingdom, the poor uh, southern kingdom. And it took a couple years, but they won that war. And in the end, commenced what the Jews call the diaspora or the Babylonian exile. And until Adolf Hitler, it was considered the worst thing that ever happened to the Jews. That this army from Babylon, that's what we call Iraq now, came in and, and did the exact same thing. They separated children from their parents and they separated everyone from their tribe and spread them all over their geographical region. And the goal was, we'll, let, we'll make sure you forget who you are. We'll strip you of your identity. And that lasted 77 years, just in the southern kingdom, almost 300 in the north. And what we read today is the day that a guy you may know of from the, uh, uh, well, see, now I'm going to keep doing history, sorry. Uh, a guy named King Darius or Darius took over Persia, conquered Babylon, and told the Jews, you can go home. And he even told them, I'll give you money to rebuild your temple. And so thus began a process that took a long time, but the Jews started to return to Judah. And when they got there, of course, their enemies came calling. They knew about this fragmented, dirt-poor group of people who made this commitment, we're going to build the temple first, not our homes. But here was the thing. In our first reading, we have their first day home all together, in a sense. And what's the reality here? What most of them know is that they're Jews, but they're not sure what that means. They weren't allowed to keep their identity 
These were the grandchildren of the folks taken away, or in some cases, five generations of folks removed from their home and their religion. And what they knew was pretty simple. We're Jews. Well, what does that mean? It means our life is hard. That's all they knew. And so Ezra gathers them on the ruins of the old temple. And he gets them all together. And he says, this is our story. And that's what you heard today. Ezra reading to these beautiful, broken, poor, beat up people. This is who we are. He told them about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He told them about mighty Samson and brilliant Deborah. He told them about Ruth and Hannah. He told them about Joshua and Moses. He laid it out. And you heard the reaction. They just cried. They had, they finally, this is who we are. This is our past. This is our land. This is our temple someday. And they were so blown away by it that they just cried. And then what did the priest tell them? Don't cry. You know who you are now. This is a great day. And I love this line, right? Go home and eat rich meats. Sweet, drink some sweet drinks. That means beer. <laughs> Don't look it up. He told them, celebrate. This is a great day. And so they did. And for the next, as a side note, like 50 years, the Bible says they built their temple with, with a, a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. And they were dirt poor and they were hungry and they didn't have a home, but they built the largest religious structure in the history of the world. The temple that Jesus preached in. How cool is that? I think like when I grew up, it was the 70s, and Vatican II had kind of just happened. And some of our priests, uh, well, one priest I remember at a church, he cemented the kneelers into the floor so that no, quote, darn liberal was going to ruin that church someday. Those kneelers are still there, yeah. And then we had the priest who got up and said, oh, it's all baloney. All these rules, they're nuts. Don't worry about it. And I've had every iteration in between. And probably like a lot of you, I grew up knowing I'm Catholic. And like a lot of Catholics, I'd die before I'm anything else, but I'd probably also die if I had to take it serious, yeah? We know we're Catholic. We know it means something. But we either have a, a, a strong sense of God and a vague sense of the rules, or we have a great sense of the rules and a vague sense of God in every iteration in between. And, and I, I want to tell you our story today. I want to tell you who we are because it's more than rules. It's more than a label. It's more than a bureaucracy. Our government can make a bureaucracy. It must not be that important, yeah? We know that there's a Trinitarian God, a community of life and love, and that they exist by pouring the fullness of themselves into the other, and there's this dynamic of self-giving, and that dynamic made humans. 
and it made humans because we can choose to love or not to love, and that makes us very unique and important in creation. If God is love, he wants to be targeted at something that chooses him freely. That's you, that's me. And since we were created by this community of love, it's hardwired into our very souls that we need community and that we are created to imitate the Trinity, to pour ourselves out, to give of ourselves. But somewhere along the line, we decided we could do it better. And in a moment that, that refers to what we now call original sin, we got broken. Our very nature got broken. And, and the only thing that will make us whole, giving of ourselves, is completely unappealing. Virtues, hard, sin is easy. Our nature got broken. And man, we started killing each other right away. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. It ends up the next couple thousand years of human history simply becomes this awful story of us doing the wrong thing almost every time and God chasing after us, trying to show us through the law and through the prophets, this is how you're supposed to live. This is how you'll be happy. But we looked at it and went, that's hard. I'd rather be miserable and lazy. We were lost, man. We were lost, and that spiritual cancer was so deep. Human nature being the problem, God came to our rescue. And he said, well, I'll take on your human nature. And so he did. That 2,000 years ago or so on our calendar, God was conceived in the womb of a little young girl in a crappy little town in a tiny country and inside of her womb was the fullness of divinity and complete humanity that the moment Jesus was conceived human and divine merged together and then because you're born he got born and because you fall in love he fell in love and because you suffer he suffered and in that, he took every human experience that isn't sinful and made it holy. So that when you and I laugh with our crazy family, that's holy. When you and I stand at graves and cry, that's holy. He took on our nature and added his divine. You and I get betrayed, so he got betrayed. You and I get abandoned, so he got abandoned. And on the day we call Holy Thursday, after giving us the gift of himself in the form of bread, because we eat bread, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of mourning, the place, in fact, where David cried when his own son tried to kill him, King David, many years before. And when he went there, the scripture says he rolled on the ground and he shook and he sweated. And it wasn't because he was afraid. It was because he was feeling something for the first time that you and I feel all the time. Guilt, sorrow, the kind of sorrow that comes from feeling separate from God. And he felt that because he was taking it on, he was making of himself 
a sacrifice. All the guilt all humans will feel in all time in history, he took on his shoulders. So that when we killed him, that died with him. The ultimate sacrifice play. St. Paul said, wow, we hated him, he loved us. And you know, if the story ended there, that's pretty righteous. We're going to worship him forever, but it doesn't. He rose. All our hate, all our sin, all our guilt, it wasn't enough. His love is that much stronger. And so he came out of the grave. And then he said to all who will believe and love him, I'm going to give you my spirit now. As long as he was one human, fully God, fully human, he was going to be limited to geography. So what did he do? Took his spirit and put it in you and me and said, go out and show people what God looks like. Show people what love looks like. Not human love. Not permissive love. But love that bleeds. Show them who I am. And that's why you're alive. That's our story, guys. And it's a great story. It's a story of a kind of love I can't even wrap my brain around. But man, you're loved. I'm loved. We're loved. And we're here, not for ourselves and not to be entertained, but to say to God, charge me up. Get me out there to make a beautiful mess of things. I want to show the world how you love. We're going to sin because we're good at that. But there is nothing we can create in our sinfulness that's greater than his power to redeem. That's why we have that beautiful sacrament of reconciliation, or in, in Latin, reconciliation, to meet again. To meet God again and say, I'm starting over. This is our story and I hope you celebrate it. This is our story, this is who you are, this is how much you're loved. And let's carry that into the world. The rules will come. They're important, but they're symptoms. This is the thing. So today, may this gathering, this word of God, that Eucharist, lift us up to know who we are and to live it well. Amen.